If you're a guest with us this morning, I want to thank you. I've been able to meet uh, a couple of you uh, already, and and that's just been great to be able to meet you. Uh, I know some of you are here for mom's very, very special day. So uh, Shirley had a big birthday yesterday, and her birthday present was her family joining her. So um, happy birthday, Shirley. Um, As we move through the season of Advent, uh, we're going to be looking at some different themes and some different places in the Bible that that talk about really what what our celebration this month is all about. Uh, As we do that each week, I'll have the verses up on the screen and you're welcome to follow along uh, that way. That's why I have it up there, just in case you want to follow along that way. But a lot of people like to follow along in in their own uh, Bible version, and uh, uh, if you're here this morning and you don't have a paper Bible that you'd like to follow along in, our ushers are coming down the aisle uh, right now, and if you just signal them somehow, uh, they'll put one in your hand, and if you don't have a Bible uh, at home, please consider uh, taking this one uh, with you. Uh, Advent. Um, Advent wasn't a part of uh, my church experience. I grew up in church, but Advent was never a part of my experience in, in my church tradition. So Christmas sort of just dropped in out of the sky uh, about a month after Thanksgiving, right? And uh, on Christmas morning, uh, my dad would, would read the Christmas story out of Luke chapter 2. Uh, we'd, we'd read about Jesus' birth, and then, and then we'd, we'd open the presents, Right, we'd get to the main event, uh, and it, it, it reminds me sort of of, of uh, Linus in Charlie Brown's Christmas story. Right uh, after the the Christmas pageant gone wrong, Charlie Brown's failed attempt at getting the perfect tree, um, Linus steps forward and reminds us all what Christmas is really about. Right. Well, it wasn't until I had been pastoring for about 10 years, I think, that I began to explore Advent as, as a bigger season rather than Christmas just dropping in out of nowhere. And what I discovered is that it's really a wonderful way of intentionally staying grounded, anchored through the craziness of, of the season. It's a, it's a way to enter into, in a sense, the longing and the waiting that Advent is all about. Advent is, is a word that simply means coming or appearing. And when we use it in church, we, we uh, are referring, of course, to the uh, Advent of Christ, the coming of Christ. And most often when we talk about Advent, we talk about Christ's first coming. But some of the early church Fathers talked about three advents, and I'd, I'd like to do that as we move through uh, this season. The first advent is that one in which the incarnate word of God, Jesus, entered the world as a baby. And this is the, is the part of advent. This is the advent that, that we are so familiar with and we celebrate during the Christmas season. It, it calls us to look backwards which can be challenging for us sometimes as we look backwards, as we we sing songs like, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, 
when we know it's already happened, right? It can be a challenge, but that's what the first advent calls us to do, to enter into that longing, that, that darkness, even despair that uh, was, was present prior to the first advent. And we have the second advent, uh, a second coming that uh, we Christians wait for, right? It's, it's not here yet. It's, it's coming. The, the second coming is when Christ returns in power and, and glory to, to gather his church, his people, and, and fully establish his kingdom. And we wait for, we long for this advent because finally God will set everything right. And this, this second advent is a, is a future word. It's an anticipation word. It's a waiting word. Someone is coming and we're excited for that. And then there's a third advent, a, a present advent uh, that, that some of those church fathers uh, said that we should be attentive to. It's an advent uh, of Jesus coming into the day-to-day stuff of our lives. Uh, Henry Nouwen talks about it in this way. The Lord is coming, always coming. So be alert to his coming. Because when you have eyes, to, uh, when you have ears to hear and eyes to see, you can recognize him at any moment of your life. All of life then is Advent. All of life is recognizing the coming of the Lord. I wonder how many of you have thought about Advent in that way, but I think it might be a good thing for us to do. The, the traditional uh, themes of Advent are hope, peace, love, and joy. Sometimes the order is switched around, but those are the four traditional themes. And over the next several weeks here, we're going to be exploring each of those themes um, through the, the lens of those three advents. And this morning, we're going to begin our celebration um, of Advent with the theme of hope. And just before we jump into that, let me lead us in prayer one more time. Lord, as we open our Bibles this morning, uh, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts uh, would be pleasing to you. I pray, Lord, that um, these would not be just nice-sounding words or uh, familiar poetic words that come to us during this season, but they would find their way down into our hearts where we might be changed by them. And that, uh, that is what we pray for. Changed hearts uh, make us more and more like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, let me start with this question. Um, what are you hoping for this Christmas? What are, the, what are the things that come to mind when, when I ask that question? Uh, some of you, especially young people, uh, might be hoping to get the presents that you want. I was talking this week with uh, one of our preschoolers, and I asked him what, what he wanted for Christmas. He said, toys. 
And then surprisingly, he asked me what I wanted for Christmas. And I said, peace on earth, goodwill to men. He said, wow. <laughs> it, it cracked me up. Some of us are hoping for presents, right? Some of us are hoping to be able to afford the presents that we want to give, right? Um, some of us maybe are hoping that the kids will come home uh, for Christmas. Uh, some of you kids may be hoping that there's no homework over Christmas break or that your sports team wins, or maybe you're hoping for an official Red Rider carbine action 200-shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and this thing that tells time, which is a really bad idea because why? Got it. First try. As we look at this theme of hope, uh, it's important for us to realize uh, that there's a big difference uh, between wanting or wishing for something and hoping for something. And I think in our language and, and culture today, we lose uh, the distinction between those because sometimes we use those words interchangeably, right? Uh, the day after Thanksgiving, Becky and I went out and got our Christmas tree. You know, we, did, we, went to a, we didn't go out in the woods. We just went to a lot and I cut it down and we brought it home and put it up and decorated it and stood back and, and I, you know, I, I felt good. I, job well done there, right? Last Wednesday, I came out into the living room in the morning and the tree was on its side, water all over the hardwood floor, ornaments Scattered everywhere, some of them broken. Yeah, some of them we'd had for a long, long time. Yeah, Mickey's head was off. Yeah. <laughs> this is hard for me to admit to you. I mean, this was a severe hit to my manhood, you know, after decades of erecting Christmas trees and maintaining them all the way through the season to, to come out. And, and it was such a failure. And, so we got it, you know, a new end cut on it and put back up. And I'm hoping that, uh, that it stays that way now uh, through the rest of the season. But see, I'm using that word hope uh, not in a biblical sense. I'm wishing, I'm wanting it to stay up. But when the Bible speaks of hope, it's speaking of something really, really different. Uh, it's hope with a capital H. I like to say. And there's two things about it that are important for us to understand. First of all, both the Hebrew and the Greek words for hope convey this idea of, of certainty, uh, a confident expectation that this thing will happen because God said it would. And the second thing that is important for us to understand is that biblical hope, capital H hope, is anchored in a person. And it always has been. If we go back to the very first book of the Bible in the early chapters of that first book in Genesis, when sin first entered the human heart and, and the paradise of Eden was lost, God made a promise. He promised that one would come and crush 
Satan. Later on, God told Abraham that the nations of the world would be be blessed through his family, through his descendants. And and still later, the prophets began to tell more uh, detail, more specific uh, details about a Messiah who would come from that, that same family line. And then we come to the New Testament and that wonderful announcement to Mary where she was told that she was going to be the one to give birth to that promised one. And he would be called Jesus. Hope has always been anchored in a person. When we get to Romans, uh, Romans 15, still speaking of Jesus, the Apostle Paul quotes from the prophet Isaiah and says this, the root of Jesse will come and he will rule over the Gentiles and they will place their hope in him. Christian hope, capital H, hope, is always anchored in Jesus and it always has been from the beginning from when God first promised that one would come who would crush Satan. It was always going to be Jesus. It was always about him. Well, as I mentioned, we're going we're to look at Advent hope from uh, the perspective of these three Advents. And we're going to be looking at several different uh, scriptures uh, to, to learn from that, learn about it. Uh, But our primary one this morning is going to be the one that that Paul is citing there in Romans uh, 15. Uh, It's in Isaiah chapter 11, uh, which is on page 557, 557 of the Bibles that the ushers handed out. Let's let's look at this together. Uh, This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And he says, then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears. But he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with discipline from his mouth and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his loins. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion and the fatling will be together and a child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like an ox. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den and none will harm or destroy another on my entire holy mountain. For the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. It's an amazing prophecy. Uh, Again, written by the prophet Isaiah, who lived in the 8th century BC, around 750 BC. 
And his message was focused on Israel's role in God's plan for the entire world. Uh, Remember, God had told Abraham that his blessing and salvation, God's blessing and salvation would flow out to all of the nations through Abraham and his descendants. The problem, though, is as Isaiah looks out there, is that Israel had deserted God. They were worshiping idols and oppressing the poor. You could say that Israel had exchanged their capital H hope in God for a little H hope in idols. And they had abandoned their mission of of bringing blessing and salvation to the world. And so Isaiah is sent by God with a message of judgment and hope, both of those, okay? And the judgment is harsh. Uh, We learn later that God is going to use two evil kingdoms, Assyria and Babylon, to punish Israel. And then God is going to punish the evil nations that he used to punish Israel, right? It's severe. Isaiah is a, is a poetic prophet who uses a lot of metaphor in his prophecy. And one of the metaphors that Isaiah uses to describe the destruction of Israel is trees. Uh, why? Well, trees are not only beautiful, they're a sign of life. They're a sign of thriving and, and prosperity, right? Uh, this, this tree metaphor is... Uh, familiar to us in the Pacific Northwest. The, the Northwest uh, was, was built largely on the timber industry. Uh, some of you remember that this town thrived because of the timber industry. It was sustained by trees. When we come to Isaiah chapter 10, just before the section we just read, The picture Isaiah paints is that God has clear-cut the entire region. And there's not a single tree left standing. Nothing remains but dead stumps. It's desolate. It's heartbreaking. And since the trees are a metaphor of the people, it appears that God has utterly wiped his people out. Then, that's the judgment, but then comes Isaiah's message of hope. Then he says in verse 1, a tiny shoot will come up out of a seemingly dead stump that he calls Jesse. Uh, Some of you who who know your Bibles well know that Jesse is King David's father. So, So God is promising that out of the royal family of, of King David, this tiny shoot will come forth and grow into a branch that will then bear fruit. And we learn that this tiny shoot is the promised Messiah who will rule with wisdom and understanding, with counsel and with might, with knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And as Paul makes clear in Romans 15, this shoot, this branch is who? Jesus. Now let me ask you, how long after Isaiah's prophecy did it, did it take until Jesus arrived on the scene? 
If Isaiah wrote this in about 700 BC, that means 700 years. 700 awful, dark, despairing years. So has Isaiah's prophecy been fulfilled? Yes and no. Uh, looking at, at the first three verses of Isaiah 11, we can, we can confidently say that Jesus, our Emmanuel, has come. The, the Spirit of the Lord descended on him like a dove. Right? He showed phenomenal wisdom and understanding in his interaction with the religious leaders. People were amazed by his teaching He delighted in obeying his father, only ever doing what the father told him to do or say, right? So uh, I think when we look at this, we can see, yes, this is, Isaiah's talking about Jesus and he came and he did that. But then as we read on, the rest of this text talks about Messiah's kingdom where he will judge not based on appearance or hearsay, but will treat the poor fairly and make right decisions for the oppressed. And the wicked, those who continue to oppose God and his kingdom, will be dealt a final fatal blow with a command from his lips. Messiah's kingdom, we're told in verses 6 through 9, will be one of unimaginable peace, where natural enemies live together in harmony where no one will ever harm another anywhere in his kingdom. And in his kingdom, the whole earth will be covered with the knowledge of the Lord. Another translation says it this way, there will be universal submission to the Lord's sovereignty, just as the waters cover the sea. Now let me ask you, Any of that sound like the world you and I live in today? Not me. The world I live in, people judge on appearance and and hearsay and gossip all the time. The world I live in, the poor and the oppressed are treated unfairly while the rich just seem to get richer. What about peace? We're going to talk about that a little more in the coming weeks, but turn on the news, I don't see a whole lot of that right now. Universal submission to the sovereignty of God? (laughs) No. Not so much. So what do we make of this prophecy? Well, this is what Uh, some theologians refer to as the already but not yet aspect of God's kingdom. Yes, Messiah has come and announced his kingdom, but no, it's not fully here yet. And so even though we know that Jesus has come, we're, we're put in this place of waiting, really much like Israel, uh, as they waited for the first advent. And we're told to wait in hope for the second advent, the second coming of the Lord, the the fulfillment 
of his kingdom. The book of Lamentations was written by Jeremiah, the prophet, uh, in the middle of the exile that Isaiah prophesied. And, And Jeremiah gives us a glimpse of just how dark that time was the the Higby family uh, read from this passage earlier. Jeremiah says this, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Um, Be easy to understand how people could lose hope. When the, when the promise of deliverance went unanswered generation after generation after generation. Yeah, sure. Sure he's coming. Sure he's going to set things right. I don't see it. My parents didn't see it. Their parents didn't see it. But then um, amazingly, Jeremiah says this in, in the very next verse. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. And so I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. In him. Where's your hope this morning? See, what what I see here in Jeremiah's words is the importance of a hope, a capital H hope that's anchored in God's character, in his reputation, rather than circumstances and, and, and stuff. And that's what allows him, even in the darkest of times, to declare his confident hope in the faithfulness of God, in his hesed love, his faithful love that knows no end. Jeremiah says he's been faithful so far and I can trust. I have confident expectation that he will continue to be. Now, I know that in this room this morning, there are disappointments, unmet expectations. Some of you may even find yourself slipping toward hopelessness. I know this because I've heard some of your stories, stories of people who feel trapped in, in poverty, stories of those who have turned to numbing habits with drugs or alcohol or sex because it makes the pain go away for, for just a little bit. I've heard stories from some of you who feel unwanted or, or marginalized. Stories from some of you who have been abused, just treated as a piece of property for someone else's pleasure. And I know I know that in those situations, we can, we can begin to lose hope. And we can, we can have this tendency to turn to idols, 
What's an idol? You say, I don't have any idols. Well, idol is, is simply anything that you are putting your trust in besides God. And, and they come in a lot of different shapes and sizes, you know. Sometimes they look like cars or houses. Well, this will make me happy. In the middle of all the crud that's going on, this will make me happy. Sometimes they look like status or bank accounts or relationships with, with men or women. But here's the thing. Idols never satisfy, ever. They never fill that void. They can't. And this is all a part of Satan's plan, his scheme. I, th- I think one of, the, one of the greatest statements on this was written by Victor Hugo uh, in, in the novel uh, Les Miserables. He makes this profound statement in that book. Evil seeks to wipe from existence that word which the finger of God has etched on the forehead of every man, woman, and child. The word hope. Hope. This is what God intends for us. Hope. He's etched it on our foreheads. He's he's written it on our hearts. And Satan wants to erase it. Satan wants to say, no, this, this idol will satisfy. You don't need to hope in God. Look, right here, it's shiny. So this morning, I want to call you to do what the writer of Lamentations did, what Jeremiah did. If you're courageous enough, dare to hope. I can't I can't think of many things more countercultural than this. Dare to hope. In spite of all that's wrong in our world. And I'm not talking about Pollyanna, don't pay attention to it. I'm talking about a hope in a God who says one day he will set things right. Dare to hope. hope in that person of Jesus who is coming back. Revelation 21 tells us that when he does, God's home will be among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. These things are gone forever. Anyone else long for that day? Anyone else want to say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus? Yes. Right? So we keep hoping, not wishing, hoping, believing in God's promise. So the first advent invites us to look back to the ancient prophecies and and remember and celebrate that Messiah has come already. And the second advent calls us to look forward, to look ahead with great longing for Jesus' return and the fulfillment of the promise of his his full-blown kingdom.
But then there's a third advent, right? The present advent. And in this present advent, we're called to be people of hope with, with, with our eyes and, and ears attentive to the ways in which Christ comes to us every day, attentive to where he is uh, and where he's working and, and joining him in that. Where, wherever we say, oh, that's got, that smells like God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go join him in that. Ooh, that, that's, got, that's got God's fingerprints on it. I'm, I'm going to participate in that. We began the service this morning by singing the words of that ancient Advent hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's a dark song. Rescue us. Free us. Please come. Set things right. Many of you know this. The word, the name Emmanuel means God with us. And this is the truth of the, of the present advent, that God in Jesus and through his Holy Spirit is with us, with you. The Apostle Peter begins his first epistle by reminding us of who we are as Christians. Um, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We have been given new birth. Christians sometimes talk about being born again. What is that? We've been given new birth, Peter says, into what? A living hope. It's a strange term, a living hope. Unless, unless we remember that Christian hope is always anchored in the person of Jesus and that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead and is alive today. And the Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus is the first fruits of all who are in Christ. That's you and me which means that we too will be resurrection, resurrected. We have been born again into a living hope. We are people of hope. So don't give up. Don't despair. Dare to hope. Last thing uh, I want to say here is that this hope is not to be kept to ourselves. This hope is not something that is intended to just make us feel better while we soak in the hot tub, pondering life. You remember why God was angry with Israel? I said it near the beginning here. They had traded in their worship and hope in God for the worship of idols. And... They had neglected their mission of of bringing blessing to the nations around them, of bringing the good news of God to the nations around them. If we neglect sharing that hope with those around us, we're no better than Israel. 
who was severely judged by God for doing the same thing. In chapter 3 of 1 Peter, he says, Set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope you possess. Again, this is who we are. We're people of hope. It should be evident to the world around us. This, this hope that we possess this Advent season isn't just wishful thinking. It's real. It's, it's alive. It's taken up residence inside of us. And there are people that we encounter every single day who don't understand that. They see the same bad stuff happening as you do. Most people today know that our world is a mess. What they don't know, or let me say it this way, who they don't know is the one who was promised way back in Genesis. The one who would crush the head of the evil one who is destroying their lives. They don't know that Jesus came to restore them to right relationship with God and with people. They don't know that Jesus can pick up the broken pieces of their lives and, and put them back together again. And in God's economy, and it's, it only happens with God, something that was broken and put back together is more beautiful even than the thing before it was broken. Only God can do that, but he does. These people don't know that. You do, don't you? You know it. I mean, yeah, you know, you know that our world's a mess, that the, the fulfillment of all that was prophesied isn't, isn't here yet. But you also know in very personal and tangible ways the way that Jesus has come and put broken things back together in you. I wonder, do you remember what it was like before? I was only nine when I came to Christ, so, you know, it's, it's hard for me to remember my world of sin. But I tell you what, I know myself pretty well. I know what I would have been. Maybe that's what you need to do. Imagine what you would have been, what life without this hope would have been. Tell your friends that story. Tell them how you used to put your small H hope in things that just kept on disappointing time and time again. Tell them how one day you turned to the real source of hope, capital H, hope. And you let him put your life back together. And what he did for you, he can do for them. He specializes in it. He's great at it. One last thing. I, I got to say this. If, if you're here this morning and you don't have that hope, if you're sitting there going, Pastor, that, that's, sound, that's great for you. I have no idea what you're talking about. That is not my lived experience. Talk to somebody this morning. Don't leave without committing yourself to finding out 
about this hope that I'm talking about. Talk to me afterwards or one of our elders that is going to serve communion here in a little bit. Uh, we'd, We'd love to help you discover that living hope that comes through Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, uh, we want to declare today again that you are king and that you are our only hope. We confess that like Israel, we're prone to, to, to erect idols. Every single one of those has left us lacking. The things that that promise to satisfy us don't. And they just take us further away from the only one who truly can, you. And so in this Advent season, in a fresh way, help us to place our hope in you. Whether that's as a reaffirmation or whether it's for the first time ever. Holy Spirit, Help us to take this hope to the people around us who so desperately need you and the hope you offer. May they see that hope in us and may we be ready to point them to Jesus. Amen.